Hi, this is Jeff D. Hi, my name is Gary Savard. Check it out, Bubba Brinkman. I am the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson. Hi, this is Jody Emery. Hi, I'm Aaron Rod. Hi. I'm James Randi. Hi, this is Phil Ferguson. Hi, I'm Michael Shermer. Hi, I'm Eli Bosnick. Hi, this is David Silverman from American Atheists, and I took a left at the Valley. And that was the best turn I ever made. Uh... <laughs> I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. 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 Coming at you from some secret lair in Abbotsford, BC, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I am your host for one more time in 2016. This is a show about positive atheism, skeptical thinking, and secular humanism. And thank you so much for joining us. I'm flying solo tonight. I decided to give uh, Tyler, Nancy, Kevin, Connie, and Deb, and everybody else a day off. They well deserve a break for bringing you the quality material. You gotta take in mind, keep in mind, guys, that um, all these people here at Left of the Valley are doing this out of the pure goodness of their heart. Nobody's paid to do this. And they bring their A-game on a regular basis. And, you know, uh, this show would certainly not be the same without them. I had no idea! So I figured they certainly deserve a good break over the holiday season. And uh, I thank them so much for being with me on a regular basis on the show to bring you our opinion in a world that's controversial, to say the least. So today, uh, we're going to be doing a show on, uh, I guess, the best that what Left of the Valley offered. And we're going to do a top 10 of Left of the Valley for 2016. So here we go. What can we say about 2016? Now, if you guys were with us last year, you might recall that I said, I predicted that 2016 would become a year of change, and it certainly has been that. It has been a year of change on many, many aspects. And I thought I would bring some little tidbits that you would find funny and interesting. Uh, for example, uh, we have some, uh, like the top five news story in Canadian politics for the year. Now, number five, apparently we had a new Senate. This is coming around the heels of uh, Mr. Justin Trudeau being elected in October of 2015. In 2016, we saw big changes in the upper chamber. The year started with the uh, denouement of the Senate scandal, with Mike Duffy's court decision and the subsequent dropping of the RCMP investigation into other senators. The judge cleared Duffy of all charges and slammed the ex-Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Now the upper house is trying to turn over a new leaf with a fresh batch of senators and a new appointment process. But it's not going all rosy in the, in the Red Chamber. Independent senators are growing restless with the pace of change, and conservative Senator Denise Batters recently accused Justin Trudeau of trying to destroy opposition of the Senate. You live to regret this! Number four, the carbon tax. The federal government delivered a climate change ultimatum to the provinces this year. The message, like it or not, a carbon price is coming to Canada. <laughs> Now, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, took the provinces by surprise when he announced they will have until 2018 to adopt the carbon pricing scheme, or the federal government will step in and impose a price for them. 
Trudeau said that the price on carbon dioxide pollution should start at a minimum of $10 a ton in 2018, raising by $10 each year to $50 a ton by 2022. Now, here in the province of BC, where we're located presently, we already have a provincial sales tax, so I'll be interested to see if they're going to add to that or they're just going to keep this current model. Of course, number three, oil. You can't talk about Canada these days without talking about the tar sands. And the story of the year, I guess, was the devastating fire in Fort McMurray. Remember that fire? Huge fire. A slow climb in oil prices and some big decision by key pipelines made oil a dominant political focus in 2016. But the real story was when they had that big fire in Fort McMurray. Now, incredibly enough, nobody was killed in that fire. But there was a substantial movement of people to get them out of the area until things had calmed down. Number two, we were talking about assisted dying. The government introduced legislation to regulate physician-assisted dis- uh, dying this year. The federal law governing medical assistance in dying came into effect June 17th after weeks of passionate and sometimes very personal political debate. But the issue opened up a wider political, legal, and societal debate over the end-of-life care, personal autonomy, the age of consent, and mental is- illness. Of course, we have uh, talked on uh, numerous occasions, I should say, uh, with uh, Wanda Morris and the people that dying with dignity, and we will keep talking to them. Of course, the religious right has a tendency to want to stop assisted um, dying from happening. Uh, because of the religious belief, and of course, on our side, we really do think that people should have the right to choose to end their own life in dignity should they choose so. And of course, the effect of the U.S. election. We can't talk. We can't stop talking about it. 2016 was an election year like no other, and of course, as a result of the U.S. election to be made official at Donald Trump's inauguration, that's going to happen on January 20th. Canadians are talking about the election as much as Americans are, because of course, the U.S. being our close economic partner, you can't help but talk about it. Donald Trump wins a U.S. election. It's an astonishing victory, uh, one that nobody really saw coming. The wild turns, unpredictable moments, and history-making first will ensure the 2016 presidential election will be studied by political scientists for decades to come. No shit. Absolutely. Of course, the U.S. and Canada politics were not the only thing that happened in 2016. Uh, On the international stage, uh, we saw Britain voting to leave the European Union in Brexit. Of course, Brexit was the... uh, uh, was the result of a referendum held in June 23rd in which citizens were asked if the British government should withdraw from the bloc European Union. Proponents of the state campaign hardly debated those who supported to leave for months ahead of the vote. Polls indicated that the country largely wanted to stay in the bloc, but come June, a surprising 52% of the voters chose to leave. British Prime Minister David Cameron announced his resignation, and businesses within Britain suggested they would leave the country depending on the result of a Brexit uh, Brexit negotiation. Cameron was then replaced by Theresa May, who previously served as Home Secretary. She's uh, leading negotiation efforts in Britain's withdrawal from the EU. Britain has a March March deadline to invoke Article 50. Of course, another great story from uh, the international campaign, the curse of the billy goat. Remember, we talked about this with Nancy in her This Day in History. The uh, Chicago Cubs become the uh, Major League Baseball World Series champions. And the first time in 108 years, if I remember correctly, the Cubs entered the season, the 2016 season, with 103 wins and 58 losses. And everybody was (laughs) watching with uh, bated breath to see if the Cubs would finally beat the curse of the Billy Goat. And they did. Another story that people uh, remember very well about uh, 2016 was Fidel Castro. 
dies after relations are being normalized between the United States and Cuba. Now, within two years, the United States' relationship with Cuba has noticeably changed. Embassies have reopened in Havana and Washington, D.C. U.S. companies began making investments in the once-isolated island nation. Obama became the first sitting president to visit the country in 88 years when he traveled to the country in March. Though a trade embargo remains in place, the relationship between the neighbors has improved. The United States' main concern is over potential human rights abuse by Cuba. U.S. authorities have long urged for Cuban officials to free political prisoners and to cease antagonism towards the dissent. And less than a month before the second anniversary of Obama's announcement that he sought to improve relation, Fidel Castro, the former leader of the Cuba who led the communist revolution of the island nation, died November 25th. He was replaced about eight years ago by his brother uh, Raul. The permanent teaching of Fidel is that yes, you can. The man is able to overcome the harshest condition. If this will, if his will to defeat does not faint. He makes an evaluation of his situation and does not renounce his noble and just principle, that his brother said during his funeral. And if there's something that we noticed in 2016 in popular culture was the amount of celebrity death. Oh my god, was there a lot of celebrity death. I mean, there's always that in memoriam, but this year, they were just incredibly numerous all over the place. It seemed like death was on everybody's doorstep. Okay, so here I actually have a list of people that died in 2016. It's actually a long list. I guess we'll start with uh, the Motorhead senior Lemmy uh, Kilmister, who actually died in December 28th of 2015, but we'll put him on the list. Um, Natalie Cole, the daughter of Nat King Cole, legend, uh, the legend Nat King Cole. Uh, same thing, she died on New Year's Eve at the age of 65. Um, Craig Strickland, a country singer. Pat Harrington Jr., an actor. Um... um David Bowie, of course, January 10th. David Bowie on the 69th birthday, the legendary David Bowie. David uh, uh, Margulies, uh, who, a character who, uh, who uh, played the uh, Ghostbusters, uh, Mayor and Ace of Ventura, uh, the doctor. Um, René Angelil, he was the husband and manager of Céline Dion here in, the, in Canada. Alan Rigman, of course, in Harry Potter, the actor of Die Hard. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? And Harry Potter, who played, Sna who played the Snape. There will be no foolish wand-waving or silly incantations in this class. Died of cancer at 69. Dan Haggerty. Dale Buffing Griffin, who drummer and founder of, uh, of uh, Mott the Hopple, died at 67. Mick Gillette, Tower of Power founder and trumpet player. Glenn Frey, uh, the Eagles guitar uh, guitarist. Uh, Jimmy Bain, Abe Vigoda, uh, Paul Cantors, my God, Frank Finlay, John Bunch, Bob Elliott. Maurice White, Dave Mira, uh, Dan Hicks, Daniel Gerson, uh, he was the uh, co-writer of Monsters, Inc. Uh, Vanity, that's the 80s uh, singer-actress and prince protégé, also known as Denise uh, Katrina. Uh, they died at the age of 57. Uh, George Gaines, uh, Harper Lee, the author, To Kill a Mockingbird, at the age of 89 on February 19th. Uh, Lenny Baker, Tony Burton, George Kennedy, Gil Hill... Lee Riemann, Tony Warren, my god, keeps going. George Martin, the fifth Beatle. Keith Emerson, Sylvia Anderson. Uh, Frank Sinatra Jr., of course, singer and son of the old Blue Eyes, died March 16th. Steve Young, Joe Santos, Ken Howard, Jim Harrison, Patty Duke, Oscar and Emmy winning actress. More and more. Merle Haggard, country legend, right? Merle Haggard. April 6th. Blackjack Mulligan, that was the uh, former New York Jets player. Uh, Tony Conrad, David Guest, Doris Roberts, Lee, Lee Wass, Pearl Washington, China. She was the uh, wrestler, 
big female wrestler. She had a huge bicep for a woman, that woman. Uh, Guy Hamilton, uh, who was the director of Goldfinger. Prince, of course, Prince. Uh, he died, who sang for uh, Purple Rain when Doves Cry. Um, he died April 21st at the age of 57. Um, Papa Wamba, Billy, uh, Billy Paul, Madeline LeBeau. Uh, more, 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 God. Julius LaRosa, Jane Little, Emilio, Emilio Nevera. He was a um, Tijano music legend. Morley Schaefer, who for uh, CBS News correspondent. Morley Schaefer, who was also on 60 Minutes. Alan Young, he was the star of the uh, TV uh, Mr. Ed and the voice of uh, Scrooge McDuck. Died at the age of 96. Beth Howland, Angela Patton, Jane, uh, Jan Crouch, Muhammad Ali. That's pretty good. Now, you, you say you're in the best shape you've ever been, you Not think? so hard to break Superman's hand. You know, Muhammad Ali, legendary boxer, of course. Born Cassius Clay, died uh, June 3rd at 74 uh, after a long battle with Parkinson's disease. Kimbo Slice, the MMA fighter and UFC star. Died June 6th at the age of 42. My God, that's young. Gordy Howe, of course. The Canadian Gordy Howe, four-time Stanley Cup champion and NHL legend, Mr. Hockey. Died June 10th at the age of 88. PM Dawn. PM Dawn's Prince B. He was a senior rapper born at Trell Cordes, best known for the 91 hit Set Adrift on Memory Bliss. Died at the age of 46. Ron Lester. Miss Cleo. Remember Miss Cleo, the phony psychic? that. <laughs> <laughs> she died at the age of 54 uh, after a cancer battle. Probably never saw that coming. Matt Roberts. Mr. Fuji, famed wrestler and WWE manager. Born Harry Fujiwara. Died August 28 at the age of 82. Gene Wilder. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination We'll begin with a spin Traveling in the world of my creation What we'll see will defy Explanation Of course, the comedy legend Gene Wilder who started classic movies like Young Frankenstein and Willy Wonka and his face is going to be immortalized forever on the internet as a meme for sure. Arnold Palmer, the golf legend known as the King, died on September 25th at the age of 87. Fantastic golfer. Janet Reno, the first woman to serve U.S. Attorney General, died November 7th at 78 after he battled with Parkinson's disease. Leonard Cohen, of course. It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall. Singer-songwriter behind Hallelujah died November 7th at the age of 82. Ron Glass, the actor behind uh, TV's uh, Barney Miller and Firefly, dies November 26th at 71. I know some of you guys are fans of Firefly. You'll be missed. Alan Thick, TV dad on Growing Pain. Canadian actor, legendary Canadian actor, of course, died December 13th at 69 after a heart attack. Zaza Gabor, actress, nine times married and most famous for being famous for being famous, <laughs> died December 18th at the age of 99. 
George Michael. My goodness, George Michael. When, when I when I was a kid, women loved George Michael. Of course, back then nobody knew he was gay yet, but he just loved him. He was singer of Wham. He, he played with Elton John. Everybody just loved George Michael at the time. And of course, as I'm doing this, we just learned that Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher. Why you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? My goodness, at the age of sixty, so young. And this is just a part of the list of all the celebrities that left us this year. Well, that list is a bit of a downer, but we do also have top 10 science stories of 2016. 2016 was a good year for science. Number one, we do have find, finally find Einstein's gravitational waves that were found. Einstein published a theory of gravity in 1916, uh, predicted the existence of elusive ripples in the fabric of space known as gravitational waves. It wasn't until the mid-1990s that construction on a pair of enormous gravitational wave detectors in Washington, Louisiana began, a facility known as LIGO for Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, started collecting data in 2002 and began to run a new run with enhanced sensitivity last fall. In February, scientists announced that they've pulled off a discovery. A hundred years in the making, the LIGO detectors caught a fleeting signal from gravitational waves released by a pair of colliding black holes. Number two, we found another Earth, kind of. It turns out that the closest star, the discovery of uh, um, Proxima Centauri B, uh, was uh, hailed as a momentous finding. Part of the excitement seems to have for the fact that Pro Proxima Centauri system is the closest star to ours, and it's only four light years, which is, you know, it's... Very far, but still, in, in cosmic terms, it's very it's, it's right next door. Um, 25 trillion miles away, if you prefer. The planet is apparently roughly Earth-sized as well. But more apparently, Proxima B's orbit lies within the quote-unquote habitable zone of its parent star. Meaning that you might have a twin close, really close by. Babies, number three, babies can now have three parents. When it comes to human reproduction, things might come might uh, get a bit more complicated. Earlier this month, the government uh, agency that regulates fertility treatment in the UK gave the green light for clinics to apply for licenses to carry out a procedure called mitochondrial replacement therapy. The therapy would be offered to women whose DNA puts them at risk of passing on potentially crippling de genetic disease to their children. The technique involves replacing the defective mitochondria in a mother's egg with a healthy mitochondria from a donor. Number four, early humans and their cousins really got around. Now, we know that Homo sapiens originated in Africa and they spread out to conquer the globe, but piecing together the details of those migration has proved challenging. This year, several new pieces were added to the puzzle. An analysis of stone tools at a site in India suggests that early members of the genus Homo reached Asia, Asia sorry, 2.6 million years ago, some 500,000 years earlier than previously thought. Our Neanderthal cousin made the news too. It looks like humans and Neanderthals interbred some 40,000 years earlier than we guessed from earlier studies. And new evidence suggests that Neanderthals carried out f uh, funeral rites and rituals, which includes the use of fire, animal bones, and antlers. And remember the Homo uh, florensiensis? Tyler would remember that. The so-called the Hobbits? It's never been clear exactly how these diminutive humans once lived on the Indonesian islands of Flores, 
tens of thousands of years ago got there, or what lineage they descended from, but a new analysis of teeth and bone from the original excavation site suggests that they were a dwarf form of Homo erectus, a human ancestor is known to have settled in nearby Java. Number five, the outer solar system gave up its secret. Although we've never ventured further than the moon, we've learned a lot about the outer planets of our solar system. Thanks to telescope and, uh, and like the Hubble and robotic probes, this year astronomers using the Hubble discovered the enormous saltwater geysers peeled from the surface of Europa, one of Jupiter's moons. Meanwhile, NASA's Juno spacecraft finally reached Jupiter on July 4th, after a five-year journey, where the craft is studying the giant planet's atmosphere and its powerful magnetosphere. Even further from home, the data from the New Horizons mission to Pluto suggests that this uh, that giant hills float like icebergs on a sea of nitrogen on the planet's surface. Even the humble dwarf planets got in on the action this year with the discovery that Ceres has ice volcanoes and maybe even a thin atmosphere. Number six, animals mind understand more than we knew. Now, for years, people have always uh, given some emotional insights and intellectual insights as being just the uh, property of humans. Um, especially that's when, when you're a religious person, you always think of yourself as outside the animal kingdom. You know, you're, you're not an animal, you're a human being. How many times have we heard that? For years, scientists believed that only humans had the capacity for a theory of the mind, the ability to reason about another person's belief. But this year's researchers conclude that three species of great apes, the chimpanzees, the bonobos, and the orangutans, have this remarkable, remarkable ability too. Smaller creatures can't seem to get inside each other's head to quite that degree, but even mice, it turns out, display a certain level of empathy. Number seven, artificial intelligence decided to beat us. Now, the ancient Chinese board game of Go has billions upon billions of possible board arrangements which is why most artificial intelligence experts imagine that it would be many, many years, if not decades, before a computer system would beat the best human players. But this March, in 2016, a program called AlphaGo, developed by Google's AI division, DeepMind defeated 18-time world, world champion Go player Lee Sedol, four games to one. The program used neural networks to analyze some 30 million moves made by human experts and also learned by playing thousands of games against itself. Number 8. Can no longer see bird brain as an insult. In the past few years, researchers have come to recognize that just how clever certain bird species are, especially crows. They're from the family of corvids, which is crows, jays, and related species. This, new, uh, this year, scientists discovered that Hawaii, Hawaiian crows are remarkably adept tool users. These crows can bend sticks into hooks. Researchers now believe that certain bird species are just as smart as apes, because per, perhaps because the brain cells are packed together very densely. And a remarkable story that combines surprising science with an overload of cuteness, we learned that newborn ducklings may have some capacity for understanding abstract concepts. Number 9. The Dinosaur's Tail We found a little piece of amber we talked about very recently in one of our shows uh, about 100 million years ago, but thanks to a, a, a piece of dinosaur bone and feathers were found in a piece of amber from the Cretaceous era. Discovered in Myanmar, the feather is believed to have belonged to a juvenile theropod, a family that includes not only dinosaurs but also modern birds. Also, although the feathers are impressive, research can't be sure that the little dino could fly. The feathers may have been just 
therefore regulating temperature or it might have been simply decorative. And number 10, we found proof that Babylonian astronomers tracked Jupiter. Now, we already knew that Babylonians who live in what is now Iraq had pre-advanced mathematical and astronomical knowledge by a new analysis of four ancient tablets dating between 350 and 50 BCE suggests that they used sophisticated geometrical techniques to keep track of Jupiter's position in the night sky. That's something European astronomers would begin doing, wouldn't begin doing, until some 14 centuries later. And those were our top 10 science stories for the year 2016. Let's take a break and when we come back, we'll dive into the top 10 episodes of Left of the Valley for 2016. Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatcher such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Centre. Please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. All my friends are heathens, take it slow. Wait for them to ask you who you know. And we're back. Or I should say, I'm back. Because <laughs> you stuck with me whether you like it or not. Like I said, I'm flying solo today. And hopefully I'm not wrecking this show without my co-host being here as usual. It was, without a doubt, the worst episode ever. Rest assured that I was on the internet within minutes registering my disgust throughout the world. Hey, 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 that's a bit harsh. But anyway, let's move on. Here is... The top 10 episode of the Left of the Valley for 2016. Let's dive into it. Number 10. In 10th position, we had Thomas the Sasquatch Hunter. Now, this episode was plagued with a bit of um, audio issues, but we met Thomas... Uh, Sasquatch Hunter does this uh, on the uh, part-time. He actually works a full-time job, and then on the side, he actually hunts for Sasquatch, the elusive creature of cryptozoology, right here in the area of Mission. I had met Thomas several years before, and kind of, he piqued my interest, and I thought, you know what, let's bring him in. Now, Thomas was extremely surprising, because we kind of expected to have somebody that would 
be completely closed to a skeptical thinking in that aspect. As, I, I don't know, maybe it's, it's our bias to think that, you know, you're dealing with believers all the time, and we would face the same kind of thing with a cryptozoologist. But Thomas showed himself to be extremely reasonable. And uh, although he was, uh, he was willing to uh, admit himself that he had never, never seen the creature, or that if the creature was proven to not exist, if there was such a thing that, you know, scientific consensus would come and say, you know what, there is absolutely, uh, there's absolute evidence that this myth was just made up, he would accept that. And that was in- incredibly refreshing to hear that from a, somebody who had this uh, strong belief, and he devotes a fair amount of his time to hunt the elusive creature. So let's listen in to Thomas... The Sasquatch Hunter. Bigfoot from existing, like, we have problems with aliens coming to Earth because they take, you know, millions of years to get here, even traveling at the speed of light. Mermaids, mermaids violate evolutionary history. Bigfoot really doesn't. I mean, what is it really? A biased belief? Yeah. Basically, yeah, that depends on which research you talk to. Some think more along those weird lines of Sasquatch. You know, some sort of strange figure from the fourth dimension. <laughs> you know, and, and there's people like me who, as far as he's concerned, assuming that the creature does exist, yeah. then it's nothing but an unclassified higher primate. I think, you know, Gigantopithecus, the species continuing, most likely. Well, what about yeah. the Homo heidelbergensis or Homo erectus or anything like that? No, they're too human like. Oh. Yeah, Sasquatch is not human. The only thing human about it is the way it walks well, and the similarities. I could show you a couple of family pictures. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even Homo erectus or Homo ergaster, they were still hairy. Yeah, well, everything was in those days. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> I put my family pictures. Yeah, yeah and I've seen some guys today that can give them a run for their money, but, well, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, and of course, and most people also don't know that Sasquatch also has a tremendous singing voice, just like the mermaid, right? Well, the people reported large, high piercing screams and things like that. But of all the recorded sounds alleged to be a Sasquatch, I must point out, at no time in any of these recordings, was what was uttering the noise seen while it was being recorded. Number nine. In our ninth position, we had atheist rapper Baba Brinkman, who came in while we were doing our stay at CIVL 101.7 FM. Baba was an interesting character. He uses uh, hip-hop to bring forward uh, uh, scientific ideas, and uh, his message is uh, promoting things like evolution and skeptical thinking, and yet he's found as an artist an interesting way to set himself apart, and he's become a bit of a... uh, uh, a, a celebrity. He's originally from uh, the Vancouver region, but now lives in New York. Let's listen in. Well, I, I I do talk about personal issues, but I I mean, I guess I'm just a I I just like big picture stuff. That's you know I I don't like small talk. I like big talk, uh, <laughs> and I and I get I get bored with all the cliches on the radio and how you know how many songs can you make about lost love before it's all been done before <laughs> i mean i know we we are a sort of intuitive uh, emotionally driven species so i'm not completely cynical about the reason uh certain content proliferates in mainstream pop culture but i feel like there's an appetite for being intellectually stimulated by your art i have that appetite i like smart movies and smart music and smart comedy uh, and uh, you know, there's not there's no music out there that's smart enough for my appetite. So I'm trying to make the music that's going to be the most thought provoking songs you can imagine somebody making because of how deep they go into intellectual content 
without sacrificing the quality of the rhymes and the beats and the and the fun part. Yeah, because it's interesting. Because usually, uh, when it comes to activism, it's much more of a, a visual media. So, have something that's mainly auditory is uh, is an interesting take. And uh, I take from your success, it's been very well received. Well, yeah, you know, I, I I would say visual is important to me as well because basically, like, I make as many music videos as I can afford to make. Music videos are just more expensive to make than albums, so I've recorded a lot more songs than I've made videos for. But anytime I've gotten a grant or a, a, you know a videographer has volunteered to spend some time on a project, or I've done a crowdfunding campaign, um, you know, I got more than twenty videos on my YouTube site, and th- you know that's really like the natural conclusion of a song is a music video. And if I had my way, I'd make a music video for every song I ever recorded. Hmm, that's very interesting. Because you're right, people do respond to the visual, don't they? And you can get thousands and thousands of views on YouTube. Uh, and, you know, like people will listen to the song when they're not watching a video, but there's something you can, you can just really get the ideas across with a video uh, most clearly. Um, you know, um, I'm into sales and there is this whole salesman trick. When you ask a question to somebody and they have, they have to think about something and then you look at their, uh, their, um, their body language, it will tell you what type of person they are. And it seems that the vast majority of us are visual people. And maybe that's why the uh, the film industry works so well when it comes to activism. But it's very interesting to see that you know you've taken that one step further and add a uh, a uh, auditory uh, side to all this. Well, I think there's definitely some parallels between art and marketing and salesmanship because uh, you know when you're on stage performing, you're first and foremost selling your ideas and selling your performance and selling your persona. And if the audience isn't buying it, then the show does not last much longer. Number eight. Coming in in eight position was our interview with Michael Shermer, editor of Skeptic Magazine. Now, Michael Shermer was invited to Imagine No Religion, which would turn out to be the last Imagine No Religion that they would do right here in the Vancouver region. Uh, our friend Bill decided that he would not come and do an, another Imagine No Religion right here because uh, the, the figure of Michael uh, Shermer was somewhat controversial for some people out there, and he lacked the support from some of the skeptic groups in the area so we found michael to be nothing but charming and he was a good man and uh i had the pleasure of having dr randy tyson from the legion of reason to help me with this interview so let's listen in could we prevent future apologists if critical thinking was taught early and if so how early would you go oh well um early as possible i mean like you know children it, it, not in any like official philosophical teaching principles of logic or something, but just like what we do in Junior Skeptic, uh, you know, just fun examples of um, you know, like Bigfoot and Loch Ness monster, and you know, like Scooby Doo was a very skeptical kids cartoon. Love Scooby Doo. Love Scooby Doo. You know, but 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 look what always happens. You know, at the end they always unmask the guy. It's the crazy guy down the street with a gorilla mask on or whatever. It's, you know, <laughs> they always figure out what the mystery is, and it's never paranormal, supernatural, and you know that that's a kind of a way of subtly teaching. You know what the real world is like. That's interesting. And uh, so I think yes, of course it would make it. It's already making a difference. You know, over long periods of time. Okay, uh, Randy, you want to ask a question? Sure, yeah. in. Well, it, the, the question I have is, is going to be related to the moral arc to the oh, to talk. Means, so uh, it kind of is a bit of a switch from, from your question. But uh, now, some of the things you said that uh, how things are improving, such as uh, uh, 
the decrease in capital punishment and our increase in awareness of animal rights uh, are, you know, we're, we're both of those are correlating, you know, with time to what we would consider better, uh, better positions. But why would you say that those are better positions? I mean, because because the people who don't believe in animal rights or people who don't believe in, in say, gay marriage, they think they have moral high ground. Yes. What is the difference? Yes. Uh, the difference is um, the rights of the individual sentient being to survive and flourish, not the group. So most of the counter-arguments you'll make are utilitarian-type arguments, like, oh boy, if we let get people, gay people get married, then straight marriage is going to go down, and, and America will go to hell in a handbasket, and the group will lose its moral foundation, and so forth. Those are all collectivist-type arguments that you would think conservatives would be against, because don't like collectivism but it's again it's treating people as members of a group and we're worried about the group or the nation or the tribe and the whole point of the rights revolutions that, that I made at the end of my talk today was it's the individuals we care, care about why individuals because it's an individual brain that can suffer that has joy and love and pain and suffering it's it, it, so our moral starting point has to be the individual I argue and so you disagree with Spock <laughs> uh, there's a lot that Spock which movie said, though <laughs> yeah, yeah Spock <laughs> 1 and 3 but not 2 and 4 yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so um, you know and there I'm, I'm kind of making a leap beyond what most philosophers are willing to do which is actually say there's a real moral starting point not, not arbitrary I mean they'll go yeah you have to have an arbitrary starting point yeah, but mine's real just ask the people you know, so how do you know? Ask the people that are affected. You know, ask the slave. How do you feel about this? Mm-hmm. You know, and so forth. Now, it's not perfect. I mean, you might ask a Mormon 13-year-old how she feels about marrying a 65-year-old guy, and she, oh, I love it. You know, because she's brainwashed, or she, the guy's on the other side of the door when you're interviewing her, and she's going to get punished later. You know, it's it's not always trustworthy, but general, in general, just you know, asking the and we can't ask the animals how they feel, but in a way we can because. Um, like with the capuchin monkeys video I showed, they expressed their displeasure at the injustice of getting a cucumber instead of the grape by you know throwing it and you know pounding on the floor and rattling the cave cage uh, wall, and that's what animals do. They bark, they scream, they cry. You know they express how they feel about being mistreated quite clearly. That you know we get, we understand if you have just a little bit of empathy. I'm just wondering if, if that includes society as having rights as well, because you know, for instance, uh, people can choose to not vaccinate their children, but at the same time, that produces problems for society as sure. a whole. Yeah, sure, of course. So in, in that case, yes, you ask the individual parent. She goes, "I don't want to vaccinate my kid." Fine, but then your kid can't leave the house. And go to any public parks or public schools or anything like that because, you know, there's an f- effect on other individuals. So, um, what I worry about most is is the kind of trolley problem, uh, utilitarian arguments that are made. You know, that if if most people are willing to agree that it's okay to you know kill the one to save the five workers on the track, how much easier it is to say, yeah, kill the ten people to save the fifty people, kill the one million mm-hmm. Jews to save the ten million. Arians, you know, it's too easy to make that argument. So that's why we—that's why the Bill of Rights was such a clever idea. That, that it doesn't matter what the majority votes. You can't take those rights away. It, even if it's ninety-nine percent of Americans vote, no, you can't do that. Yeah, my father in the wisdom used to say, "Your rights and where the rights of others begin." Yes, that's right. Yeah. So in, in that same branch of uh, Randy's thoughts, sir, 
So what, why do we feel as a society that times are worse today, even though the evidence says otherwise? Availability heuristic. So this is uh, Danny Kahneman's uh, descriptive term for uh, when we're at, you know, asked to evaluate something, we turn to our memory for the most immediately available memory we have, which is usually what was on the news last night. Terrorist attack, shark attack, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, not heart disease, it hardly ever gets covered, or cancer, which rarely gets covered, you know, but the, the most salient and dramatic thing that comes to mind is usually something obscure. So, and also, there's a, you know, sort of a selective bias in the media, not, not really a bias, it's just what they do. Uh, they don't cover countries that are not at war. They don't cover, uh, you know, neighborhoods that are safe. They go to the worst neighborhood. In, it's like, in, in it's the, like Homer's, everything's okay alarm. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. it's absolutely annoying uh, all the time. And, exactly. Yeah. Yes. I didn't know about Homer's uh, everything's okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's really that's funny. A good one. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, I don't blame the media. It's you know, it's good that they cover every air- airplane crash and so forth. But don't think you know, like, what's the riskiest thing I can do? Fly, because you know, I saw it on the news. No, no, no. Number seven. Coming in at number seven was our interview with Jody Emery, the Princess of Pot, wife of Mark Emery, the notorious Prince of Pot. She came in at CIBL and gave us a blast of an interview, although I suspect she was maybe a tad high for an interview herself, but that's okay. We had a blast with Jody. Let's listen in. Well, 420, the number, the time really goes back from the 70s. This is the deadheads on tour. So at 420, you smoke up and it just became code. But April 20th also happens to be 4 slash 20. So Mark Emery, when he started his activism and cannabis business called Hemp BC back in 1994, hired some employees who smoke pot and happen to be deadheads. And they said we should have not just a 420 p.m. smoke, but what if we did the whole day on April 20th? And Mark said, that's outrageous. You can't smoke pot all day in the park. And they said, no, we really want to do it. It would be fun, we think. So he let them get some money to rent some speakers. And at Victory Square, down at Camby and Hastings in Vancouver, uh, they had the first smoke-in. And I'm pretty sure that was 1995. Uh, So we've got 20-plus years of history. And it did begin, and it still is, a protest. So it was a bunch of people gathering together, breaking the law publicly, peaceful civil disobedience, smoking pot, and hoping not to get arrested. Uh, There have been arrests and attempts and something called Hug Power was developed by David Mamo Levine, an amazing activist who's done huge work and even gone to the Supreme Court uh, to fight for liberty. He came up with the idea of hugging someone if they're being arrested and if everybody's hugging and you've got a big group of people, the cops can't really arrest or handcuff a hugging group. But, you know, sometimes the strategy works, sometimes it doesn't. But over the years more and more people became more brave about selling pot, you know, not just one guy trying to discreetly sell it too. But as we all see, it is an enormous event. We now have 300 booths. Many of them are selling marijuana. And over the last five years or so, as legalization has become popular and made it in the news and media and south of the border, very close to this border, actually, uh, we have a lot of people coming forward and wanting to be involved. And at that point, the city says... You guys are bringing like 30,000, 40,000 people into the core of the city, literally shutting down the main arteries in the city, and we're a protest. 
but they'd like us to pay for it. So we actually now have to raise money, which we happily do. We need toilets. We need security. We need first aid. We need radios. We need fences, all sorts of things. We're getting stations for water and for roaches to be put out so we don't dirty up the beach. Basically, this year, we are so huge. After 50,000 people shut down the city last year, we needed to move it from the art gallery grounds, and we're at Sunset Beach. Now, it took a lot of work and a lot of... Uh, campaigning to actually be allowed to go there but if we the cannabis culture pot tv group who organized 420 and always have if we didn't do something the city would see a flood of 50,000 people coming in and it would be chaos so even though we're illegal and we are a protest against prohibition yes we're also a celebration it's a day when we can finally come out and say hey i like pot i'm smoking it i shouldn't be arrested and that's 50,000 could be criminals or could be prisoners gathering together and it's one day when the police can't stop us because the numbers are so big but we've also had to ask for donations to help cover the cost and some vendors say yeah i'd love to support the event some people don't but we can't force anybody it's still a volunteer run passion project about ending prohibition Number six. In the number six position, probably one of my favorite interviews of all time, the incredible David Silverman, the passionate, extremely vocal president of American Atheists. What can you say about David Silverman? The man is a force to be reckoned with. He is uh, scaring people on Fox News, and he's not shy about saying that you need to be a firebrand. You need to be out there and tell people exactly how it is and you can't pussyfoot around the idea and i think he's done more for atheists and his tenure as president he's still there uh, that many other uh, notorious uh, figures of atheism have done so david was definitely an interview and we hope to get him some other time because the man was just absolutely amazing let's listen in uh, the important thing is that um Sticking your neck out and helping people come away from a scam is a good deed. And if they hate you for it, it's still a good deed. Because when they come out of it, they're going to appreciate it. If, my, if your friend is going to a tarot card reader and you sit there and you say, wow, that's wonderful for you, you know you're not doing right by them. You know you're doing wrong by them. The right thing to do for a friend who's into tarot card readings is to sit them down and to teach them what crap it is so that they don't put more money and time into that obvious con. Well, religion's no different. In fact, religion is no different, except it's bigger and takes more money and takes more power from an individual. It splits up families. It has no positive force at all. But we have this problem. We atheists have this problem that we have been indoctrinated by religion into thinking that even when we don't believe, it's bad to criticize religion. And so we... The, 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 these, these other atheists in the movement, and I'm not going to mention any names, I'm not going to mention anything except that they know who they are, and you know who you are if you're listening, the ones who say, oh, well, my way is my way, and your way is your way, and that's just wonderful, let's have a group hug. Those people are not nice. Those people are careless. Those people are not doing well by the people they're talking to. Those people are allowing the religion to fester in their friends' minds. Those people are not sticking their friends out for their friends. They're allowing their friends to get eaten up by religion, and they know it. They know their friends are being conned. They know their friends are victims of a scam, and they sit by and not only allow it, but legitimize it by saying, that's great for you. 
and you got your way and I got my way and that's fine. And I maintain the statement that that's not nice. That's not nice. It's not considerate. It's not compassionate. These people are injured. They need our help. They need to hear that you don't respect their religion. You respect them. You respect them so much that you're going to tell them to their face the truth, that they're a victim of a scam, a con, and they don't want to hear it, but they need to hear it anyways. And that's the nice thing to do. That's not the easy thing to do. That's not the sweet thing to do. You're not going to get hugs and smiles for it. But you know what? That's not why you do nice things. You do nice things for somebody else's good, even if it means taking it on the chin for yourself, even if it means getting a frown, even if it means getting a word. You take it on and you help somebody free themselves from the lie and the scam that you know they're in. Mm -hmm. That's the nice thing to do. And this is the point that I make in Fighting God. And I say it because if, and I back my stuff up. If you look at all of the movements that have succeeded, the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement, the gay rights movement, they've all had the firebrands and the diplomats. There was always a Malcolm X to Martin Luther King. There was always an act up. There was always the bra burners. They're always there, and they're the ones that make the statements that need to be heard. They're the ones that make the progress. So I make the point in fighting God that being a firebrand atheist is not only the nicer thing to do, it's the effective thing to do. And in order to make my case, I not only use logic and emotion, but I also use history and good old-fashioned quantitative independent data. Number five. Halfway through our countdown, we come down to number five with James the Amazing Randy. What an honor to meet the man and interview a legend of magicians and father of skepticism. Uh, the man was just absolutely a blessing and a pearl. I could not believe how nice and how quick, although in his advanced age, I mean, he is in his 80s there, he was still super quick, his hands are still super smooth, and he's doing magic tricks for us, and this is another one of those interviews where I had the pleasure of also having Dr. Randy Tyson uh, help me with this interview, and uh, James Randy is, if you ever get a chance to meet the man and shake his hand, absolutely worth it. Let's listen in. Um. I must say that uh, the earlier that, uh, that the kid is beginning to understand what life is really all about, and I, again, that's going to be in different ages for different kids, of course, but I, I think that, uh, of course, I, I would be very much in favor of uh, atheist point of view being taught from the very beginning with the uh, kids, because uh, I look upon uh, religion as, um, what's the, the, the term... Um, Penn and Teller years? Oh, yeah, it's bullshit. <laughs> I keep forgetting it. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's interesting because magicians make their living on awe, in a way, and, yeah, oh, yes. and, and, and mystery. Um, and for you to become such a great debunker, do you think more magicians should follow your lead? <laughs> no, I'm not a debunker. I'm an investigator. Okay. If it turns into debunking, then I become the debunker. But I start out as an investigator. I uh, always say to myself, self, because I, I do that frequently, uh, I, I say, uh, you know, I wonder about this. I don't do that very seriously. Uh, just, just between us, don't tell your audience this. Okay, no, not at all. Yeah, of course not. We'll never know. Never know. Uh, but... 
I don't believe in any of the, uh, the, the what was it? Bullshit. Yeah, yes, I keep the, the term. Uh, that, that I hear about in, in connection with religion. It's superstition. It's, uh, it's uninformed. It's, it's sort of a, a thing to lean on. And I don't want to take away anybody into anybody's props and let them fall on the floor. But I never, never needed, as a kid, as a small kid, my parents sent me to Sunday school. Oh, that was the worst thing to happen to that Sunday school. I love that story. I can tell you, I, I would ask questions all the time. How do you know that? Well, it's in the Bible. That's all they tell me. And they'd slam the Bible in front of me. And I'd say, but uh, where in the Bible? And they'd turn to page in Deuteronomy or something like that. And I'd say, who was he? <laughs> you said this is the word of God. Yeah, but uh, now I was a very young kid. I guess I was about 12 at the time or something. And uh, my father had given me a quarter, by the way. And in those days, hey, even a Canadian quarter. It was a lot of money. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and not only that, uh, he would give it to me and figured that I would put it on the, the plate, you see, when, they, when the plate was passed in Sunday school. Well, I learned from the very beginning that uh, it wasn't too difficult not to put the coin on the plate. <laughs> and the second week I was barred from Sunday school anyway, but my parents never found out. Can you believe it? If they're in heaven now, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> but uh, no, I never went back to Sunday school. But I found that Purdy's Drugstore up on Bayview Avenue in Leaside, that they, that they would serve a two-flavor Sunday, uh, ice cream Sunday for 25 cents but for 20 cents you only got one flavor that was a sign yeah my friend Gary only got 20 cents as, a, as an allowance you see and so I was ahead by a nickel and that was a big advantage in those days well, big discovery too oh yeah, hell, yes I mean, and a bonanza yeah. <laughs> your parents never found out so religion pays off if you, if you, get, if you work it <laughs> right well Peter Popoff definitely knows that hey, oh yes well now that's one of the most famous cases that I that yeah. I handled at least it's the one I'm most proud of because Johnny Carson reached out to me and yeah. and I asked him I you know I said could I do this on the show he said hell yes oh yes he said this is exactly the kind of thing I like to do and uh, we did it on the Carson show and uh, Oh, that well, Popoff is still in business. Yeah, he's still. It just shows you this. This, this how, how nonsense do you feel goes, about that. It goes on forever. It goes on forever. And uh, Popoff, as far as I know, doesn't use the radio gimmick any. But he doesn't have to. He's now got what is it? Uh, spring water from Chernobyl. Uh, that 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 ten thousand people died at Chernobyl from radioactivity, which is nonsense. It didn't happen. That didn't happen at all. But he says, but not one Christian died. Yeah. Come, give me a break. <laughs> what makes Christians different? They don't glow in the dark? No, apparently not. Or maybe they can glow in the dark. Just and it doesn't, doesn't kill them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> number four. Coming in number four is the comedian Eli Bosnick. What what a blast this guy! Uh, first of all, he he is part of the uh, God Awful Movie podcast as well as the Skeptocrat and the Scathing Atheist crew. Uh, what a comedian! What a joy this guy! And you know what? You think you're going to interview a guy that's just talking about jokes and making jokes? And yeah, of course he's making jokes. He's fast, but he's also opinionated, and he's got really thought, well thought opinions about anything and everything. He's not just a funny guy. He's also very deep. And it was a surprise interview, and 
we look forward to doing it again with some other time with Eli and other members of the Scathing as Atheist group. Let's listen in. My favorite show I've ever been on. Well, we got to write that down. <laughs> Mark that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for coming to the Valley, Eli. And I should say congratulations on, uh, I guess it's uh, Mr. Eli Bosnick now, Mr. and Mrs. Eli Bosnick. Yes, I've been made an honest man. Two-week anniversary. We got each other not caring. Wow. Oh, you congratulations. Know, I, so welcome to, welcome to the Fraser Valley. I think, yes. I, I think there was a uh, GoFundMe uh, for uh, Eli to get married for some woman to tie him down and make an honest man out of him. Yeah, exactly. The, the result was $1. <laughs> $1. <laughs> And they brought me on. I did a guest spot on Scathing where I was running for Pope. And then, <laughs> yes, I ran for Pope. Uh, I got beaten out by the current guy. And I just want to say I would have arranged for the rape of way less kids. So not trying to be mean, not trying to be mean. I'm just saying I would have done a better job. You know, there's still a um, position open for the uh, Russian Orthodox papacy. Okay, fingers crossed. There we go. Fingers crossed then. Uh, I don't think I hate gay people enough, but I can try. I can work on it. <laughs> um, the comments of Eli are not necessarily those of Lethal Valley subsidiaries. And <laughs> <laughs> you know what you did when you invited me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, they invited me on to do a guest spot, and then uh, I would come on to do Bible wrap-ups, and then eventually we started doing this movie review segment once a month, because I always loved terrible movies, and I would see these terrible Christian movies and sort of hit Noah up on Facebook and be like, dude, you gotta see God's Not Dead, or you gotta see this movie, it's so bad, you know, and he would be like, alright, fine, check it out, and we would do, you know, these little segments on the show, and then I lost my job uh, at that building, uh, basically, very, very quickly, and the company did right by me, but basically the two big toy stores in New York City that I was working in at the time closed within a few months of each other. Uh, and I, I sort of reached out to Noah, and I was like, hey, man, like, don't know how much I'm going to be able to do scathing because I've got this uh, not-job situation. I think I'm going to be an Uber driver. And he was like, why don't we try god-awful movies? And uh, we did, and we got our funding in less than 24 hours and since wow. have grown and grown and it's just been I, I'm still surprised anybody is interested in anything I have to say but I've been lucky since and, and very recently I just started as a full-time member of Scathing so now I'm a co-host of Scathing full-time fantastic well that's great that's, that's great news well since you're the, the movie expert I guess you're going to be the movie expert I gotta ask you, uh, you you've obviously heard of uh, Mel Gibson and his comments of doing A Passion of the Christ too. Care to I comment? am so excited for Passion of the Christ. You mean my birthday gift for the next four years? Yeah, I heard it. <laughs> so what do you think is going to happen in Passion of the Christ, too? Are they going to call it Jesus' Revenge? or? Yeah, I'm really hoping they go with Judgment Day. You know, just keep it, <laughs> keep it thematic. Yeah, of course. Why not, right? <laughs> yeah, or Secret of the Jews. <laughs> Ninja Turtles reference. Oh. One person loving that. Also, apparently, Kevin Sorbo, you know, Kevin Sorbo, this incredibly talented actor. I believe he's just like one notch above uh, Kirk Cameron. Uh, apparently, he's uh, doing a movie called, uh, well, I don't know if they have a title, but they call it The uh, World's Greatest Atheist Converting to Christianity. Yeah, written by his wife, no less. Well, that's got to be quality work. And in the interview, he was basically like, it was a thought experiment about what if the world's, and this is a quote, what if the world's top atheist? And I, don't, I didn't realize we ranked each other. And if, if anyone figures out what my ranking is, I'd like to know. It's like a fantasy atheist league we got going on. Like, oh, first pick, I'll take Dillahunty. Oh, I want Sam Harris. I don't know. He's had a bad season. Well, it's not quite fantasy, but we, I believe there are trading cards out there. 
Oh, I want an atheist trading. Now I'm mad if I don't have a trading card. Yeah, Make me a trading card. I, I, I bought your trading card for at least a dollar, but you know, I, okay. think, it, I think it could sell on eBay for more than that. <laughs> <laughs> like the four horsemen Pokemon cards or something? <laughs> Richard Dawkins, go. <laughs> like Yu-Gi-Oh, you combine all four horsemen and you can you can destroy a Dinesh D'Souza card. I like it. <laughs> Three Good nerds one. who watched all those Intelligence Squared debates loved that joke. <laughs> Number three. Not surprisingly, our number third, uh, number three position goes to our friend Arn Raw. Arn Raw was a, was the third time he was actually coming on our show. A second time he actually was with us live at CIVL 101.7 FM. This time he was coming on to talk about his book, The Foundational Falsehood of Creationism. Arn is one of those guys, he's brilliant, yet he's not a professor. But he can hold his own with all of them. And I think that's the, the appeal of Arn is because... He feels so much like one of us. He's not an academic. Uh, he looks like a big badass biker. And uh, one of these days, him and I will have to go for a bike ride, for sure. And But at the same time, he's absolutely brilliant and extremely well-versed and knows what the hell he's talking about. So let's listen in to our friend, Arn Raw. So somebody posted the, that same thing. It's just a theory, blah, blah. I said... You know, it's because they can't spell hypotheses. That's the reason. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, and it's a funny thing because the science has this rule that you can't prove a theory correct, right? But what, is, what a theory is, in a sense, is when a hypothesis is proved to be correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, this is applicable in a number of cases, not all of them. So, I mean, this is not so, the way that scientists, science actually defines this. But in many cases, when you have a hypothesis, and that hypothesis has been so strongly vindicated by additional data and continuous testing, that they eventually just elevate that to a theory. So a theory is a hypothesis that has been proven, and you can't go up from there. You can't go up from the top. Well, and it's hard to explain to people that a theory in science is a field of study or a body of knowledge because they want it to be a blind-ass guess. Yeah. yeah the, the reason that science claims that we can only, you know, provisional conclusions, the reason we can only be 99.999% sure about something is because as soon as you say you're 100% sure about something, you're saying, I'm not willing to change my mind based on new data. Yeah, absolutely. I Even yesterday I was uh, actually... Uh, uh, out in the town and I got into the store that I really like to hang a bit once in a while and I was talking to this Christian couple uh, this older Christian couple I, I know them and I actually don't know enough to know their names but <laughs> but we we just debated that entire question about evolution and I had to start to explain to them you know evolution is a fact and it, that same one came out oh it's just a theory no no and he, he, the guy even at some point say, said well if if we came down from monkeys because they always say that why are there still I, monkeys and I had to correct them that we don't <laughs> come from monkeys no 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 I gotta jump in here now oh okay I gotta, yeah I gotta I gotta because I, I love it when they say that if we came from monkeys then why are there still monkeys why are you still a monkey do you Yeah, that's that's my answer. We, because it, and and this is this threw me into a lot of uh, controversy. And it actually, this is a problem for me too. I used to be on your side of this argument, and I argued very very hotly with a professional systematist over a course of a couple of months, and it got brutal and savage and really unfriendly. However, I did eventually have to concede that he was right. That humans are a subset of apes. Yeah. And that apes do not just share a common ancestor with monkeys, but
but that they actually descend directly from monkeys too. The current line of circopithecids, which we have as the only extant old world monkeys, mm -hmm. are a sister group to hominoidea, which are the apes. But there's an ancestral group called Propliopithecoidea, which is ancestral to both circopiths and hominoids. So it's and and then if you if you I've, I've quoted Flegel and Delson and all of the other experts in paleoprimatology, uh, and they use the word monkey when they're talking about uh, um, Apidium, for example, like that, like and others are like Eosimius going back into the Dawn monkey. So they use monkeys that we de de descended from, and then you've got things like Egyptopithecus and Proconsul, where Egyptopithecus is described as an ape-like monkey, and Proconsul is described as a monkey-like ape. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Okay. Right? They're all supposed to be in our lineage, more or less. So, yeah, I mean, although this is still a point of controversy because we've been trained to think in another way, yes. if you classify things monophyletically, then the monophyletic classification of simia or simiforms, uh, and which is also used as this alternate name of anthropoidea, either one of those, these are the Latin words for monkey. It means that we are monkeys. And since you never, you can never grow out of your ancestor, you never stop being whatever your ancestors were. You may be a modified version of whatever your ancestors were, but you're never going to turn into something they weren't. Or, well, you can turn into something they were. You'll still be what they were, even if they aren't what you are. That's a little bit confusing. Because, obviously, the apes that we descended from aren't human, but we are still apes, even though we become human. We keep all of the parent categories. Number two. Our number two spot actually surprisingly goes to the debate we had on the history of Jesus. Chris Christensen versus Gemma Page. Uh, Christian... Uh, uh, Chris the Christian is obviously defending the history of Jesus, while Gemma is actually doubting it. Um, it just shows to us that uh, obviously our audience likes debate, and we were actually pleasantly surprised by the numbers of this. Uh, they both put up a very good fight. Uh, Chris came in very prepared, and Gemma did her best to uh, counter his argument. And overall, we actually had quite the blast. Let's listen in. Okay. You mentioned how the Gospels the writers never identified themselves. Did Were you aware that um, the Roman historian Tacitus, who even Carrier admits actually was the guy that wrote his uh, the annals, he never actually identifies himself either. He It's actually by other people saying it was Tacitus that wrote it, very similar to how it was other people that uh, attributed Mark to Mark. That, the whole question, okay, uh, that is a fair point, uh, although I will, of course, note that we don't have all of the annals, parts of them are missing, um, ergo, I would expect that perhaps he did mention himself by name somewhere, or, you know, otherwise address himself, uh, though it wouldn't be a tremendous loss if he hadn't, though I would expect as a Roman historian of the time that he probably did, and we simply don't have that. Uh, in any case, on the Gospels being anonymous, this um, is slightly more serious than that, uh, in the sense that they, don't, they do not follow a historian structure in the first place. Um, ergo, I, I don't think that's terribly relevant. Okay, good question, good answer. Uh, Gemma, your question for Chris, please. Uh, yes, I, I would be interested in knowing more about um, the attribution of the Gospels um, 
not only as historical documents, but as written apparently by identifiable people. Sure. Let's so it more or less, so more or less the same question, uh, sort of from my side. <laughs> okay. Um, don't have a ton, I guess, more to answer off the top of my head with that. But well, you have to answer off the top of your head. I'm not going to answer right. for you. <laughs> really? No. Sorry. Can you repeat the question one more time? I'll actually maybe rephrase it. In particular, I was interested in your mention that you believe that the Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, a student of Peter, or uh, an amanuensis, I suppose, of Peter. You you cited uh, church fathers as as being evidence of that. I um, I would ask, I suppose, yes. How do you uh, further defend the uh, authorship of the Gospel of Mark? Since, as we've said, it, it is anonymous; it does not identify an author, and beyond apparent guesswork um, by later figures, uh, there is not any strong indication, to my knowledge, of, of who did write it other than, as I said, inductions based on its content, such as that he was most likely Roman, in my opinion, since he uses, uh, he uses phrases and Latinisms that only a Roman would use. Damn! Number one. And here it is, our number one position for 2016 for Left of the Valley goes to... The implacable David Fitzgerald. We'll talk about St. Paul. One of the very recent episodes we did, we had very good, a lot of fun doing that with David. David is just an absolute pleasure to have on the show. He's uh, he's fun to be around with. He, he debates all the time. I'll tell you a little something about David. This is the second time we interviewed David. The first time we interviewed David uh, several years ago, he was kind enough to grant me an interview. And then after a computer bug happened, we actually happened to lose the interview. And when we uh, messaged him that we lost the interview, a bit coy about it, he said, sure, let's do it again. And he did. This is the kind of dedication this guy gives out there to his fans and people that he considered his friends. And he's just such an easygoing guy to get along with. You cannot help but love this man. So here it is, our number one position for 2016, Look at St. Paul with David Fitzgerald. David, what are your thoughts on St. Paul? Well, you know, it's funny. The ironic thing about all those people you named, of all of them, he's probably the only one that's actually real, that it really existed. I had no idea. And um, uh, though I should say maybe he's only half real because everything we know about Paul, half of that is bullshit made up by the guy who wrote Luke, Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts. Uh, so the, 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 the Paul that we love, uh, that's kind of a super guy who does all these miracles, he never existed, but the kind of bitchy, queeny, uh, <laughs> one from his letters, Wasn't that guy did yeah. <laughs> He didn't seem to like women all that much, that's for sure. He didn't, it wasn't big on the girls, yeah. No, no. <laughs> it's funny, he says things like, oh, it's, it's bad for a man to, um waste times on frivolous things like making his wife happy 
when he can serve the Lord. Why can't all men be like me and completely immune to the temptations of women? <laughs> well, you know they say, happy wife, happy life, right? <laughs> yeah, he never says anything like that at all. <laughs> you know, some, some of the conservative Christians might object if you want to change it from St. Paul to Queen Paul. Do you think they might never <laughs> just a slight, slight... I love that. Queen Paul, point Queen for Nancy. Paul, right? <laughs> oh. Was he suffering some sort of shortcomings we're unaware of? Maybe. Well, you know, here's the thing. He does talk about this thorn in his side that, that uh, uh, God has given him to keep him humble. And there's <laughs> lots of speculations on what that is. My point and exactly. In my, uh, my sex and violence talk, um, I suggest, and it turns out I'm not the first person to suggest this, that he was a closeted homosexual. It could very well be. Could very well be. We'll never know. Well, he was. Yeah. Kind of, he was certainly not some of the guesses they've had. Like, oh, it's an earache. Oh no, it's epilepsy. It's like, nah, no, no. It we're was not a talking micro about an <laughs> <laughs> He was an apocalyptic preacher, though, too, wasn't he? So I mean, he was. He oh, thought God, yeah. Jesus was going to come down any minute now. And that's and it's ca- funny. Yeah, that's kind of the idea said, for not having a wife is the world's going to end anyways. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. There's just no time for that. And um, he, it's funny. He. he repeatedly tells us that Jesus is coming, he never says anything remotely like, Jesus is coming back, or implying that this is a second coming. This is way too many gay jokes. He's coming, he's coming. It's going to be a very serious show, obviously. Uh, <laughs> David, in, in, your, in your humble opinion, I'm just going to take a little slant detour here. Uh, why is it that Christians don't seem to recognize the idea that Jesus was supposed to come back like really, really soon after he was supposedly crucified and supposedly rose to the heavens and all that. He was supposed to come like really within a lifetime. How come Christians can't see that? How come they always think, oh, he'll be back in 2,000 years or so? Well, it's funny. I mean, when they read the letters of Paul and when they read the book of Hebrews, they always read it through this gospel lens that wasn't around during their time. And when you read them kind of on their own, what they're actually saying they're saying nothing like what we think of as Christianity. And there's all these huge holes in the story that just aren't part of his reality. For him, an apostle is someone who could argue that the, the reason Christ had appeared to him. He never says that any of the what we think of as, as Jesus' friends and family have any kind of better cr- uh, criteria than he does. Um, they're just one more person who claims that God appeared to him from heaven. Well, I'd like to point out one of the most annoying things I find is when people try to attack Paul or support Paul, and they talk about stuff in Acts. I'm like, you have to differentiate between the two. There's actually this really good um, New Testament university course on YouTube from Yale University where he points out the contradictions between the book of Acts and with Paul, like really small things like... Paul says he went there. Acts said he went there. Well, maybe we should believe Paul, that kind of thing, right? So Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because, yeah, on every point where there's an overlap between Paul and Acts, Acts is, is whitewashing, Acts is changing the story, Acts is not in agreement with Paul at all. Well, yeah, like the whole Damascus thing and going blind, and that's just yeah, the book of Acts, that's funny. right? It's, it's the most famous you know, conversion story in history, and Paul never says anything remotely like that ever. Paul, uh, Luke gives us three different versions of it, and Paul never mentions it once. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. And that was our top ten for Left of the Valley for 2016, as chosen by our downloads and are the subjects of various and various comments from you, the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on this.
Time for Moran. One more time. Last of the year. Promise. Well, another year is over, and we are looking ahead to doing another revolution around our, our unremarkable star. If you were with us last year, you might recall me pleading with you to bring change to your life if you are unsatisfied with any aspects of it. The message this year isn't really any different. Most of us fall constantly into the typical grind of having a life we hate just to pay some bills for stuff we don't really need, just to mimic people we don't really like. In the meantime, we miss out on the joys of life, but also on unexplored potential of where life might take you. Look at this little show, for example. A couple years ago, we started in a basement. Over that time, we had numerous great interviews with giants of atheism, great guests. We had a brief stint on a real radio station, and now we are poised to bring this show on television. Why? Because we weren't content with just doing this out of a basement. Life actually does begin outside your comfort zone. So this year, make that pledge for yourself. Take a chance for yourself. Do one little thing different. Why don't you take that class you always wanted to do? Why don't you buy that motorcycle you always dreamed of? Well, how about you go say hello to that cute someone that caught your eye? Do yourself a favor of really living. Otherwise, you'll end up having another year like 2016. And you don't really want that. And that takes us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for all of you for listening to this. The last show of the year 2016 at Left of the Valley. You can follow us at leftofthevalley.com. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at LATV Podcast. Uh, you can uh, follow us on the Block Talk Radio, iTunes, uh, Spreaker, or YouTube, or SoundCloud. Uh, if you like the show, you can give us a five-star rating on iTunes. That would really help. Uh, I know that uh, we are actually looking to open up a, a Patreon page as well. We'll see where that goes. Maybe you guys will be able to give us a bit of a boost as well to bring you this content every week. Coming up in 2017, we have a couple of shows coming up. We have uh, uh, one of our first shows is going to be a show about food waste. That we'll have uh, Grant Baldwin and Jenny Rustemeyer. That should be very interesting to watch. We also have our 100th episode. 100th episode. Who would have thought? Already in. We also have a friend John McComb from CKNW who will bring to us a discussion about depression and how to cope with it. And our friend Seth Andrews is coming back on the show. Yes, the velvet voice of atheism is going to be on Left of the Valley. Make sure to catch it. Well, guys, not much I can say besides I can say, you know, have a happy new year, health and wealth to all of you in 2017. And if you get the wealth, don't forget to wish it to you. <laughs> Until next time. Perfectly intelligent people can reach the conclusion that all non-believers are evil. What a fucked up statement. Do you realize what you're saying? But according to your book, this is how your God made me. Skeptical of anything that contradicts history, denies evolution, hates science, promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance. Rather be alone than surrounded by damn idiots. As long as there's a breath in my body, you can bet your last dollar I'll be working hard fighting this problem. Religion is a disease, it comes from culture, only true on a regional scale. Science is universal. Say that horse is
isn't real, but Jesus is Or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them I think the reason is apparent You do what you're told and believe in the God assigned by your parents I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith And unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist Atheist, 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 atheist